part of what's happened is that through our culture, we accept that this is just the way it is, that, yeah, we'll have to wait one day. There could be an ascension or something like that. But that's not necessarily so. From the mystical, heretical point of view, we're implored to follow this path and to find it on an individual basis. Hello, I'm Julie Kroll. You're listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. Welcome. Your journey of conscious evolution continues right here, right now. I was 11 years old when I first asked, why am I here? I was talking to God and I wasn't happy. Why do humans treat each other the way they do? How can people hurt each other like this? It was a different kind of why am I here? I wanted to go home. I didn't understand why people didn't see the world the way I saw it, unified, connected, and whole. It was then that I left my body. What followed was one of the most profound and formative experiences of my life, an ineffable wonder of non-ordinary consciousness. But what's more important is that it set me on a lifelong path of study, a deep exploration into the spiritual mysteries of life, and a broad scientific examination of the nature of reality. I wanted to help people find their own answers to the questions humans have been asking for millennia. Who am I? Where did I come from? What am I doing here? Where am I going when I leave and how do I get there? And of course, why am I here? Our guest today says the quest to answer these questions triggers our natural spiritual abilities for transformation and evolution, both as individuals and as a species. Transformation leads to a sense of wholeness, holiness, and completion that changes our bodies, raises us beyond human, and enables us to walk with the angels in the sacred realms. This is Ascension. I invite you to take a few conscious breaths, bring your awareness to your heart, relax, open your mind, and settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce our guest. First, my co-host, Dr. Paul J. Mills, is Professor of Public Health and Family Medicine at the University of California, San Diego. He has over 400 scientific publications in the fields of pharmacology, oncology, cardiology, psychoneuroimmunology, behavioral medicine, and integrative health. He's the author of the new book, Science, Being, and Becoming, The Spiritual Lives of Scientists. Our guest, William Henry, is an author investigative mythologist, art historian, and TV presenter. He's an internationally recognized authority on human spiritual potential, transformation, and ascension. William has a unique ability to incorporate historical, religious, spiritual, scientific, archaeological, and other forms of such knowledge into factually based theories, and conclusions that provide the layperson 
with a more in-depth understanding of the profound shift we are actually experiencing in our lifetime. The spiritual voice and consulting producer of the History Channel's hit program, Ancient Aliens, and host of the Gaia TV series, The Awakened Soul, The Lost Science of Ascension, and Arcanum, William Henry is your guide into the transformative sacred science of human ascension. And we are so happy to have you with us here today, William. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me here, Julie and Paul. Paul, I was just in San Diego this weekend. Had I known, could have had a copy or something together. Ha! Huh. Next time. Next time. Yeah. I was there at the uh, the Conference for Consciousness and Human Evolution with Greg Braden, Bruce Lipton, Nassim Harriman, Marianne Williamson. It was a wonderful, wonderful weekend. Great. I just talked to Greg about that. He said he had a great time. So nice. William, we we are happy to have you here on the show. And and this this conversation is a really an important part of the Main Street Mystics conversation. And with your unique ability to synthesize historical, religious, spiritual, scientific, archaeological, and other forms of knowledge, it's amazing that we can look forward to having this as a foundation for a a real solid historical foundation talking about ascension. Mm -hmm. So with that synthesis in mind, history, science, religion, archaeology, and with your vast field of expertise, I'm wondering if you can muse on our show's theme for just a minute. What is the idea of all things connected? This is the Dr. Julie show, all things connected. And we're doing the main street mystics series now. What does the idea of all things connected have to do with ascension and the quest to answer those questions? Well, in part, the the quest for ascension is the quest to transcend duality. And by definition, once you've transcended duality, you're in the the unity of of all things. And that is a a really big part of the the flip. I mean, one reason why we incarnate is to experience duality, to experience that separateness. I mean, to think that, you know, part of ourselves is still in the collective and we a part of our a smaller part of ourselves incarnates on earth has a human experience manifests a human body in order to have that experience and will one day wake up and return to that source and to that unity that that's one way of, of characterizing the ascension quest so connecting with all that is connecting the dots is imperative uh, in the awakening process and then ultimately in the ascension process mm. Well, I'm going to let Paul jump in here at any time, Paul, and interrupt us. But let's begin right there then. What is ascension and the the ascension process that you spoke about, William? I think that's important. I'm going to just make an observation because in the new age era, we've had a lot of conversation about the awakening and what awakening means. And some people will say, oh, I had my awakening experience and I'm done. Others talk about the layering and layering of ascension. And there's a lot of different language from different traditions, different religions about this process. So from your perspective and this wonderful book called Ascension that we're talking about today, tell us what is ascension and what is this process that you just referred to? First, let me just state that I'm, I'm a historian and a practitioner of ascension, but my primary service that I was trying to provide in writing the book is 
I, I mean, I've been studying human transformation into celestial beings or human transformation into an angel for 40 years. And I've been there since the 90s out on the speaking circuit and and following the waves as we went into the millennium and then 2012. And then suddenly we're starting to hear a lot of conversation about the concept of ascension. And I was a bit surprised, to be honest with you, to, to recognize that many of the contemporary people that talk about ascension acted like it was something new, like it had never existed in human history before. And I thought, wow, there's a whole historical basis for what is transpiring right now. And what I set out to do was to provide a sort of a pathway, a foundation, a beginning place for this ascension process, that we are indeed in an accelerating ascension. Many people feel like we're going somewhere. I'm of the view that we, we've been up in the air for a number of thousands of years, and now we're coming in for a landing and we're going to be on firm footage. And that what ascension is, is a quest for, for wholeness, holiness and completion the, the word they use in many of the mystic traditions is perfection. We want to become more perfect, which means more whole and holy and compassionate. And the idea is that in so doing, by following this process, we're not so much going somewhere as we are letting more of ourselves in. We're recognizing that we've been living a limited form of existence. And when we awaken, we realize there's more. And some people have, as you said, an awakening experience and think, hey, I'm good. But for others, there's much, much more. And in fact, it never ends. The ascension process is a, is a never-ending spiral. We go into eternity. And so, again, what, what I set out to do was to provide a foundation, some stair steps, a, a recognition that these concepts of ascension are not new. And while people today might prefer to talk in terms of 5D or 4D, what they're really talking about are Christian concepts. And I want to make that point clear that it's important, I think, not to throw out traditional religion and their view of ascension, because that is the basis for a lot of this. And we can get lost in the language. And by recognizing that ascension is, in fact, at the core of all the world's religious and spiritual and mystical traditions, that brings a, a sense of unity. It, it acknowledges that there's been many, many, many people on this path. Perhaps people have had even past lives on this on this path, and we're all in it together. And and that's a, an important part of the message. Hmm. That's beautiful, William. Thank you. And and you mentioned a moment ago in regards to ascension that we human beings come to Earth. In your book Ascension, you wrote, "We ascend, Earth ascends." Now yeah. I know this to be true, but but why is that so? Why is there such an intimate link between our movement, humanity as a species, towards ascension, and that also helping Earth come along to her ascension? And what do other cultures say about this link between humanity and the Earth? Well, I, I think one of the things that we've learned, certainly in my, my lifetime, I'm 60 years old, and uh, when I was seven years old, we put a man on the moon, and we sent spiritually minded astronauts or astronauts who became spiritually minded like Dr. Edgar Mitchell into space. And it brought them to tears when they looked back at the earth and saw the wholeness and the unity. And in fact, recognized that our planet is alive. It's a living entity. And then Dr. James Lovelock comes along studying Mars for NASA and comes to this conclusion that, that our earth is, is a living being and it has a consciousness called Gaia. These are all ancient concepts that the earth is a living entity. It's a living being. So is the sun. 
and that there's a consciousness, a, a web of, of intelligence that is woven around the earth. And in fact, it's, you know, the earth is our, is in many ways our womb and our nurturer. And we do assign many female characteristics to the earth, I think appropriately. That overview effect that Dr. Mitchell especially is noted for speaking about completely changed everything. This was at the height of the Vietnam War. People were looking for an inspiring message and they read the Christmas story from the Apollo space capsule. And it, it, it just transformed so many people. It caused a, a massive awakening. So I think that started a recognition that our earth is also an evolving being. The earth that you and I live on is not does not look the same as the earth did 10,000 years ago. There's ge mass geological changes. And the point is, is that once we recognize the earth is on it or her own spiral of evolution and ascension, we recognize that we're part of a, a living entity and that everything around us, in fact, is alive. Mm. I want to follow up on that with the earth piece. And I still have another ascension question. And I don't know which way to go first, because I imagine even our listeners are going, ah, I want more. I want more. I'm going to start with the skeptic. Because Paul asks you about the earth is in ascension, the earth is ascending. Right. And many in our circles, William, are, are optimistic about watching the planet in this awakening process, really understanding the evolution of consciousness and what's happening where we're shedding off all these old systems and structures Mm -hmm. that no longer serve us, right. that we're born out of this illusion of separation. So right. many of us are optimistic. And I have a skeptic in mind because I've been having conversations with this person over the last two weeks, a lot of them. So mm -hmm. there was a quote here, and then I do want to get back to an ascension question that you had, but sure. I love this sentence, all human growth and development is aimed at returning humanity to this pure state of being, our mm -hmm. original state of perfection and existence in our light bodies. Right. So here we're talking about we're all in this process of ascension. You just mentioned Gaia herself. I just I'm I'm in the process of a a series called Conscious Planet, and so many of our episodes, our listeners listening to this now, have just listened to six or eight episodes of Conscious okay. Planet, so they're mm -hmm. going to be familiar with this. But my skeptic that I have in mind would argue and say, "How can you say he's he'll say I'm cynical? I look around and the world looks." horrible. It looks dark. It's falling apart. We're treating each other horrible. We're on the brink of World War III or nuclear, you know, and we're literally going to destroy ourselves. So there's so many of that, that thought, that mindset out there that are, that are really cynical. How, what can we say to our listeners that give us hope that this is a part of our evolutionary process, that not only are humans in this ascension process, but so is our planet Gaia, yeah. planet yeah. Earth. Well, you know, this, this question, I think, is best answered by the book of Revelation. You have so many people in the, I'll just use the term, new age consciousness community that speak about a new human and a new earth. That's a concept that has a direct place of origin. About 150 BC, Jewish mystics called the Essenes envisioned a new Jerusalem coming out of the sky and a new human and a new earth, a new heaven and a new earth, and, and along with a, a new humanity. And furthermore, that book of Revelation tells us of a time exactly when that would happen. 
an end time, as they described it, a time of a second coming, a time when there would be massive changes on the earth, cataclysmic earth changes, wars, rumors of wars, plagues, all of the things that you're experiencing today, AI, transhumanism, demonic technology, trying to take away the concept of the human soul, control, all of that. That that is all described in a very archetypal and symbolic way in the book of Revelation. But the spoiler alert is the children of light win. The good guys win. The darkness is dispelled. This is a phase we go through. We welcome the challenge of AI. It's forcing us to push back. We're saying, no, this is not what we want. We don't want to turn ourselves into machines and puppets on the string of some global economic order that makes us soulless robots. No, that's not what we want. So now we're challenged. We're, we're, we're forcing ourselves now to have to stand up. But the, the point is that I'm trying to make is that it presents a way to navigate this. It gives us hope. The book of Revelation does. The children of light win. There is a new heaven. There is a new earth. There is a new humanity. And they're, they're living amongst us. We have to choose to see that. It's already evident. It's not something that uh, necessarily we're going to set a goal and make it happen. It's something that we just allow to happen. And Gaia herself is involved. I mean, this is one of the dramatic revelations or hypotheses of Dr. Lovelock, who, who actually believes that AI was sent by Gaia to, to challenge humanity. And so it, it all starts to get a little bit interlocked here. But, but the, the idea is that there's tremendous hope if we find the origin of these stories. So as I'm saying, it's one thing, one nice thing to talk about a new human and a new earth, but it's very important to go back to the source of who, where did that vision come from? Where did that concept originate? And once you find that with the Essenes, you also find this hopeful story of this transformation and this transformational time that we live in right now. Hmm. I really appreciate that description, uh, William. And, and Julia, it makes me realize that when people are out there observing so much disruption and problems around them, it doesn't negate the idea that we're in this transformation towards an ascension. It's just, in many ways, as I think as you're saying, William, it's just evidence that that, that is occurring. And, yeah. and it makes me think back to your ascension book, William, where you describe uh, Joseph Campbell's monomyth, often called the hero's journey. Right. And you said that it might be better titled The Human Ascension Story. You're right. All of us who are on our own human life journey know there are times when we're in the mud. We're in the thick of it. Things seem dark. There's all kinds of challenges. We're stumbling. But that's through our process of awakening. And ultimately, we come into a new awakening of ourself. We're a little bit closer to these ascended light bodies. We're growing and evolving. And when we have that perspective, that's very liberating then when we begin to observe the chaos around us that gives us a sense of confidence and hope that we know what's going on and we know where we're heading. Exactly. And that's why, once again, not to, to harp on the book of Revelation, but when it says that there will be a demonic consciousness that wants everybody to take the mark of the beast, that it's mandated by global a global government and then worship the image of the beast, it's very easy to see that this is the mandating of breaking the skin barrier and introducing technology into the body and also the worship of super intelligent uh, or super artificial intelligence, which, which will soon take on physicality. And, and again, these are milestones in the book of Revelation that, uh, in my viewpoint, are, are there to say, OK, if this is happening, then that means we must be getting a lot closer to our ascension because the forces of darkness are terrified that we're going to succeed. That just imagine if we have an, a fully awakened humanity, a fully functioning humanity that's fully empathetic, sympathetic, compassionate, and wields unique healing abilities. No, no more pharmaceuticals, no more 
no more need for the technology. We have it already built within us. It, it's our body. And part of the ascension process is to awaken those capabilities. And this is why the dark is so afraid at this time and why they're pushing so hard to, to take over control of our bodies, our minds and our souls. Yeah, that's a beautiful vision. If I can add, uh, Rudolf Steiner gave a beautiful series of lectures on St. John's uh, Book of Revelation of the Apocalypse. And any of our listeners want to understand it more from the way you're describing, William, I would uh, advise folks reading some of those lectures. For sure. Yeah. Beautiful. And that this, this is precisely why we're tickled that you're our guest, William, and talking about this, because you are such a historian. And what you mentioned was when we go to the roots and we really understand what's happening from these myriad perspectives, really, you're, all cultures, all religions are leading us back there. And, and the, the world that you describe and the humanity, the new humanity you describe is really intriguing to us. I want to I want to go back to this definition of ascension then. And you wrote with the ascending path comes the emergence of a consciousness and a higher intelligence that is cosmic, mystic, and practical in that it enables us to scale new heights. I call it angelic or ascension intelligence, tapping into this ascension intelligence or ascension consciousness empowers us. And I think right in that piece is extreme hope for those listening as well as like, oh, there's an ascension intelligence or ascension consciousness. Say more about that intelligence, would you please? What is that innate capacity that we're triggering or turning on? Right. So that concept uh, originated for me with my study of the Essenes, the, the tribe of Jewish mystics out of which Jesus, John the Baptist, Mary Magdalene emerged. And they claimed in their Dead Sea Scrolls that they were living with angels, high celestial beings that had taken on physical incarnation and were teaching the, the Essenes to the way of perfection, as they called it, again, to become more whole, holy, compassionate and angelic. And along the way, it has prescriptions for, for diet, purity of diet, purity of heart, thought, but especially actions. And one of the key things that they, they discuss is a garment of light that the Essenes believed that they would acquire by following this ascension path, a garment of light and a crown of salvation, a crown of eternity. And as I looked at that, I, I began to think that the crown they're speaking of isn't something you go down to Nordstrom's to get. It's not like some new Chanel or Gucci crown or a Gucci garment of light that you're going to get. These are symbols. They're talking about awakening our crown chakra, literally expanding our, our consciousness to think like the angels. How do, how do angels behave? What's it like to be in that angelic state? What are some of their capabilities apart from walking between walls, instant materialization of wishes, the ability to phase in and out of physicality? Those are the natural capabilities of the angelic beings, the ascended beings, the, the bodhisattvas, the avatars, they all can do this. And their message is, is that we can too, even while living in our physical flesh and blood body. So I really started to focus on those key symbols of, of the angelic intelligence. The angels wear these crowns or halos, and they also wear, they're dressed appropriately when they enter the heavenly realm. They wear garments of light. How do humans acquire the garment of light? That, that became a a real driving question for me. And, and in part, uh, it's through practicing things like kindness, compassion, patience, 
we wear those things like a robe. And the, in fact, I came to see that the garment of light is woven of threads from all those types of actions. No, no compassionate action, no kindness, no loving actions, no garment of light. It's a pretty simple equation. And so I, I started to, to look at the Essenes and other groups like that as exemplars of people that exhibit this angelic intelligence and come to find out those same symbols, the crown and the robe of unending light appear in all the world's spiritual traditions. And so I started just linking all those together. And I, in my presentations in particular, I show the, the correspondence between the Egyptian and the Tibetan, the Christian, the Jewish, the Hindu, uh, the various traditions that all speak of humans acquiring these higher attributes symbolized by this robe or garment and the crown. Mm -hmm. So let me just ask about this, just a follow-up really quick. And I, I imagine Paul will want to jump in here because this is a fun topic for both of us. But I'm wondering about this intelligence, ascension intelligence, ascension, ascension consciousness. Mm -hmm. In our modern psychology and many theorists now, as we're trying to understand consciousness, will say tier one, tier two consciousness or separation consciousness, unitive consciousness. Mm -hmm. Does it Does it seem like ascension consciousness or ascension intelligence is really an embodiment of this unitive state? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, think about what type of a, what kind of intelligence or knowledge, ability, feeling would it require for you to walk through the wall behind you? That's ascension intelligence. That's the angelic intelligence. Those, those capabilities, the understanding that all of this matter, while it appears to be solid, is energy in motion is mostly empty space. It encompasses quantum physics. It encompasses the idea of entanglement and it encompasses many sciences, but it's also a condition of the heart foremost. That's the, 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 the teaching that occurs over and over again, that who is able to climb, who can ascend the mountain of the Lord, those with clean hands and a pure heart. And fortunately, thanks to COVID, everybody's been washing their hands more so now, perhaps thanks to COVID, we'll also purify our hearts, and then we will be able to ascend the mountain of the Lord. Mm. Beautiful. And what you're saying, particularly about the way that we can tap into ascension energies, essentially it's, it's in our control when we begin to practice more gratitude, compassion, even self-love, self-compassion, et cetera. Absolutely. That's, that's the gateway. It's not out of our reach. It's not hard necessarily. It's just a decision. And William, if I can ask you a question, can you give us some insight into how living that kind of life and those practices has transformed your own experience of the ascension process, the light body and so forth? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've started, again, researching this idea 40 years ago. I'm, I'm 60 years old now. And I was in college when I started and uh, probably for the first 35 years, most of my quest was on the left brain side, the intellectual side. And then as I de keep developing this, I'm realizing that it's, it's more about a purity of, of heart and the condition of the heart and self-love that is required. And in my own experience, and I won't go into details, it has caused me to have to make very painful choices in my life, perceive painful choices to, to walk through that gateway of the heart. And now I'm in a, a much more, uh, I would say, uh, a more, I guess, a dedicated state of, of exploring it. I'm using psychedelics. I'm using MDMA. I'm using many of these uh, serotonin-based uh, compounds that open up the heart, give you that feeling of euphoria, connection with all that is. 
And I'm finding that that has been of a tremendous benefit. And very interestingly, as I'm getting more into this, what they refer to as the plant medicine community, I'm hearing more and more stories of people having tremendous ascension experiences. That is one way that, that my experience has evolved. And I feel like you know, that might not be appropriate for everybody, but in my quest in the past 40 years, I very early on learned that the creation of the light body and from the Egyptian perspective involved tones, lights, and plants that were psychedelic. And they made oils out of them. Even when uh, Mary Magdalene was the, the chief apostle of Jesus, she was a mistress of the oils, a mirror force. She knew all of these secrets. And so I'm, I'm personally quite comfortable in exploring the role of plants and plant medicine, tones, lights to open the heart. I mean, that is what is so hard for so many people it was for me in many ways was to really feel that self-love. And if we can't feel that self-love, it's going to be a tougher road for you. And, it, and again, it's, it's very difficult, uh, was for me anyway, to make the choices I had to make to, to step into that, that self-love and to recognize those parts of myself and, and to embrace that, that part of myself. You mentioned the different experiences and using plant medicine, which is, is really kind of a hot button right now. It feels like there's a, there's a swelling culture of, of those experimenting with plant medicine, but also toning and using the voice. There's this, there's the beautiful new ways of awakening. Your book Ascension also has myriad stories of those who have had ascension experiences. And so I'm wondering for our listeners, if you might want to just give us some examples of what you're speaking of, of, of what is an ascension experience for different people. There's a variety of different experiences. And some people will say, oh, you know, I had a near-death experience, or I talked about an ascension experience in our opening that when yeah. I was 11 years old, I had had a near-death experience when I was four. And so a different realm opened to me. I was walking in both worlds and I was looking at this planet going, uh-uh, I went out of here. There are many, many different kinds of ascension experiences. I'm wondering if you could just share some with our listeners so they can get a feel for what we're talking about here. Right. I'm, I'm just going to go with the one that is the most informative to me. Uh, and that's the story of Enoch. The reason why I think Enoch is important is because he's like you and I and many of the listeners, I'm sure we've gotten onto this path and now we can't read enough about it. We, we can't research enough. We want we want to know more. And that, that was Enoch. He was essentially a, a student of ancient myths and lore. And in the story, which was written by the Essenes, by the way, I keep referring to them because they're kind of a, a real touchstone in my work. But they took this figure, Enoch. He was the first human to ascend in the in the Judeo-Christian tradition. In the book of Genesis, it says that Enoch walked with God. And what academic scholars say that means is that, that he ascended. But the Bible doesn't tell us how he ascended. The Essenes made a superhero out of him and elucidated his story, saying, "Yeah, he was a he was a sage. He was a researcher like you and I." And then he knew enough. He got to a point where he kind of understood enough of what was going on. He had that awakening, knew there was a calling for something more. And then the Archangel Michael entered into his consciousness, took him up to the third heaven, which could be another dimension, anointed his body with an oil that dissolved his body into rainbow colored light so that now his body was just like the angels, took him up to the throne of God. 
Enoch spends a, a period of time at that throne, is educated, and then is sent back to earth to be able to share what he learned at the throne of God, and then is taken back up. And this time he's, he's transformed or transfigured into an angel, and his new name is Metatron. He becomes the guide of all humans uh, who are on the ascension path. So that to me is a real touchstone story because it, it talks about what, what I need to do and where my comfort level comes from on this, uh, at least in my approach, is, is from Enoch's story. And I liken it to like getting a job at uh, like FedEx or Kinko's, what we used to call Kinko's, the copy center. If, if I'm going in there to get a job, the manager, and I'm going to do a customer service job, the manager isn't going to ask me if I know how to build a copier or if I know how to work the internet. I don't, but I can press the right button. I know enough about, hey, that's a copy machine. This is a fax machine. This is whatever. And that's kind of how I started to view the ascension process is that there are stellar powers, angels, other entities that are waiting for us to know just enough so we can get the job and they can enter into our consciousness and help us to complete our own ascension. In the 1930s, there was an amazing book written by a German scholar named Geo Windegarden. It's called The Ascension of the Prophet and the Heavenly Book. And he documented how throughout history, all of the, the prophets that ascended had these common denominators. They were researchers. And at some point when they knew enough, an entity entered into their consciousness and delivered to them a book, a book of knowledge, a book of wisdom that completed their ascension. And that's how I feel about my own my own path is that I'm looking to just know enough. I don't have to know everything about it, but I have to get to a certain level where I can call in the attention of beings, perhaps even my higher self that says, OK, now you know enough. We're going to help you to complete your ascension. And to me, that's a, a beautiful part of the ascension path is starting to connect with those beings and those entities. Hmm. I've never heard that described before. So it's as if we're to enough a certain level of development that then our body, mind, spirit system can manage. You said we're given a book. Is that, it's like a symbolic of energetic codes and information that we can carry? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you can go, for example, I go to Egypt frequently and in the temple of Seti at Abydos, there's a beautiful scene of the God of Ascension, whose name is Ptah, sitting on a feathered throne, feathered because it flies. And King Seti is kneeling before him. And Ptah is literally portrayed writing into the palm of Seti's hand. And the hieroglyph that he's writing into his hand is the secret of the hundreds of thousands of years, the codes of ascension, in other words. He's saying to King Seti, you've learned enough, and now I'm going to transmit this knowledge to you. In the book of Revelation, again, a rainbow angel who many academics take to actually be Christ comes out of a hole in heaven and meets John the Revelator and gives him a book and he eats the book and it tastes like honey. And John has his expansive consciousness experience through, after which he writes the book of Revelation. So those are just a couple examples of many examples uh, where you see these prophets, these ascension prophets receiving these codes maybe frequencies, knowledge that uh, takes them to the next level. I love that. There's, a, there's always a, a sense of just knowing. When, when I hear the stories, when I talk to people, it's, it's like the gnosis part of this is really important. 
but I want to follow up with two pieces of what you just said that I think is really important. One, Henry, you're talking, or William, you're talking about ascension while we're still living. And Mm -hmm. so many religions have really talked to us or taught us about ascension after death. And many religions have really kind of squashed this information that we're talking about today. Can you talk about the difference between the living ascension and what that may be might look like versus the after death ascension? Right. Yeah. That's something that really caught my attention as I'm doing this research, realizing that the heretics throughout time are always those that claim that one can self-ascend. The, the Orthodox religions tend to think, oh, well, no one knows when the ascension is going to take place and sit down and shut up and we'll let you know when we hear something new. Until then, just come into our church, synagogue or whatever. And don't you dare even think that you can scale that ladder or stairway to heaven on your own. You need us. And the heretics were always like, what are you talking about? Uh, it's natural. It's organic. It's This is the, the human gift. All of us have the ability to to self-choose our, our time when while we're living, if we want to transform ourselves into a higher being. And unfortunately, the, the recurring story over and again is that these heretics are are squashed, they're exterminated, their teachings are burned, they're destroyed. And it just seems that there's a, a force on this planet that doesn't want this ascension to occur or individuals to take it upon themselves to, to scale this, the ladder or stairway to heaven on their own. And this is, I, I think, best exemplified. One example, of, of course, is the, the Tower of Babel story where humankind gathered together in ancient Babylon to build the the Tower of Babel. The word Babel means ladder, tower, or stairway to heaven. But there was an entity, the Old Testament God, who said, I'm not ready for company just now. So he demolished our tower and separated humankind by language. And this is considered a triumph in Orthodox Judaism and Christianity. Yeah, how dare those people challenge God's authority and build a stairway to heaven? Who the heck do they think they are, right? That's the traditional interpretation. But when you turn it on its head, you're like, well, what kind of an entity would want to destroy our ladder or stairway to heaven and and separate us by language? And the reason why that was done, by the way, was because if we were successful in building that ladder or stairway, nothing would be impossible for us. And that's the heretical point of view is like all things are possible for us. And so this is a a good example of of the split or dichotomy. I mean, people go to... You can go to courthouses or used to be able to go to courthouses uh, around America and see the Ten Commandments displayed. And they're displayed with great reverence. But from the heretical point of view, that's like a penal code. Because before the Ten Commandments were introduced, the mystic Israelites, the Jews, were were practicing ascension. And they were, uh, God was married. God had a wife. Her name was Isis or Hathor. And Everything was all about connecting with the heavenly host. And then after the Ten Commandments are introduced, all of that is destroyed and it becomes heretical. So part of what's happened is that through our culture, we accept that this is just the way it is, that, yeah, we'll have to wait one day. There could be an ascension or something like that. But that's not necessarily so. From the mystical, heretical point of view, we're implored to follow this path and to find it on an individual basis. Gosh, we've been, most people that is uh, so asleep to our own foundational inheritance, I could say, and potential 
probably consciously put to sleep by certain forces. Yeah. Um, William, with all your study of esoteric texts over the decades, why was humanity created uh, so we would pursue this ascension process? Why be brought into this dimension of space-time to then yeah. find our way back out again? Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, I can point to stories that I rely on as guideposts. Uh, one example is the original Sumerian creation stories. These are the stories upon which the the Egyptian and the biblical stories of the Judeo and uh, Christian and Islamic creation stories are all based on these Sumerian originals. And they say something about some kind of a planetary cataclysm and of entities, extraterrestrials, if you will, intervening in human affairs to lift the souls out of the earth plane and return them to their home. And they speak directly about the creation of a genetic hybrid. They refer to it as a DAPA, uh, which is the source of the, the story of Adam in the Old Testament. And what's interesting about the story of a DAPA is that it's a, it's a loving act by an extraterrestrial entity, an otherworldly entity who, from our modern perspective, we would say genetically modified humankind. And immediately after this successful hybridization, and they, they make it clear that the first human Adapa was a hybrid of a divine being and a, and a more primitive earth creature. The very first thing that happened was that this extraterrestrial entity, the intervener, his name was Enki, he takes Adapa to the throne of the gods. It's an ascension story. So the oldest human story is about the creation of humankind the second oldest story that it's attached to it is how this new creation, Adapa, successfully goes to the throne of God. Now, it becomes a somewhat of a morality tale because we're then denied immortality. But the point is, why would an extraterrestrial entity come here, create perhaps a hybrid race, if that's true, and then take it up into the heavens if the creation of the human body or the fashioning of the human body didn't have to do with ascension. And that that's my, my one of my operating premises is that, yes, I think there was intervention in human evolution. Our evolution was accelerated for the purpose of making our body a more conducive vehicle for the ascension of the soul. There's something intrinsic to the design of our body that is holy and sacred and refers to our ascension. And this is why I'm so adamant about waking people up to the dangers of AI and transhumanism, because we've got little children, 20-year-olds, playing God with genetic technology, with nanotechnology and artificial intelligence, and thinking, oh, we're going to take over the human body and we're going to augment it. And I'm like, not so fast, not so fast, because there's something truly special, sacred and holy about our bodies that we haven't even tapped into yet. Mm. So many of the foundations of religion speak that we were created in the image and the likeness of the Godhead. So there, there's a lot of information there relevant uh, to what you were just speaking about. Absolutely. We are to mirror Christ at his, the time of his second coming. And this doesn't mean we're going to be five foot, 10 inch Jewish guys that are bodybuilders with long hair. We're going to mirror Christ in his glory body, his resurrection body, his rainbow light body. And that's that's what we're to be doing. And that is part of the ascension process as well, is cultivating that that divine heavenly body while we're in our earthly bodies. 
Yeah, you talk about humans as little gods with a lowercase g, with superhuman powers, with massive superpowers. Mm-hmm. And and so you just had mentioned that we we don't even know the grandeur of this vehicle, this body that we're in. We haven't even we haven't even peaked where we our capacities. I'm wondering if you have an imagining of the magnificence of our innate capacities. Like what's yet to come? Where are we going as a species? What's yeah. what's on the horizon in your imagination? Well, I think something that excites me is the incredible emphasis in the spiritual community, consciousness community on the pineal gland and the ability of the pineal gland to release secretions and hormones that can heal the body, connect us to other realms. And and that to me is what's really next is understanding that our body is the temple and learning how to get between the temples and utilize what's there. Uh, So many people are doing this work right now. And this is the dovetail between people, what they're doing with meditation, what people are doing with entheogens and and psychedelics to release these secretions and hormones all the way up to dimethyltryptamine, which is endogenously produced within our pineal gland. And, And as we recognize we have this storehouse of possibility, it clears a way for us to experience joy, euphoria, bliss, that is the foundational frequency of the new human and the new earth. That's what we're really all striving for with this is to get out of the fear. We've had enough of that, get more into love, but also to make love the base frequency of this world. So that now that we can phase up into a higher vibrational love or love beyond love. And that, that's what is discussed in so many of these Ascension stories. And that's where my work is focused on right now is, is what, what they actually meant by an oil of joy and bliss that could heal all human malaise that's produced by the pineal gland. How do, we, how do we access that? How do we open that up? That's where I'm at right now. And I know a lot of other people are, are on this path as well. That brings my mind back to something we spoke about a little bit ago about Yes, self-love, compassion for others, gratitude, right. empathy. There's a whole field in positive psychology and psychoneuroimmunology where people are studied when they're beginning those practices. And there's a lot of data just showing how it does begin to modify neurohormones in the body, helps yes. cardiac functioning to improve if you've had cardiac damage, endless amounts of research. But I haven't seen anything yet on studying how it might be influencing the brain, the pineal itself, to develop these Mm. compounds. That would be an exciting area. And I suspect, based on what you said, that that's all happening when we practice these, uh, let's say, virtues as they're historically understood to be. And I suppose there's a reason why they were encouraged historically. Yeah, absolutely. And again, we're, we're living at a time where we have access to this knowledge. There's no reason why ordinary people can't become extraordinary, fully functioning human beings. We have the communications, we have access to books, we have access to teachers, techniques, diet, everything that, that, that we believe we need to do this. Now what we need to do is just find the way that is appropriate for each individual and, and make our way up the, the next rungs of the ladder, so to speak. I love that. 
And of course, here with Paul and the integration of this science, at the same time, we have these teachers, we have these practices, we have so many wanting to say, okay, what about my own personal journey? We're waking and we're, okay, what's the, what's the best diet for the light body? What's the best mantra? I am light. I am light. I am light. You know, so, but now the science is, is coming along with us and raising this con, this whole conversation to a whole new level. And so it's an exciting time to be alive on the planet and to watch this process where science and spirituality are really literally converging into this, this unified message of our human potential. I totally agree. And I think in the, in the coming years, the next three to five years at most, you're, you're really going to see an explosion uh, in this area of the, that marriage of science and spirituality and practicality where people will begin to go to maybe, you know, imagine going to a resort and you're, you're able to tap into these techniques for a weekend, be it, you know, through meditation or plant medicine or other experiences where you're literally transformed in the space of three days, five days, and it carries with you from then on. And if we multiply that by millions of people, that is where this incredibly profound shift is going to happen. And we're right on the cusp of that right now. And it's going to be, as you say, so exciting in, in, the, in the next few years as this just mushrooms and it, as it just goes exponential where more and more people are feeling this and feeding into this new humanity, new earth kind of thought sphere in choosing and saying, okay, you know, we can do better than what we've done. And we're going to create a more just civilization, a more righteous civilization. We're going to connect with these otherworldly entities. And we're going to be a planet that is more highly evolved than ever. And that's that's where we're at right now. And I'm, I'm with you just on the edge of my seat and can't wait to see where we go with it. I love that vision too. Uh, makes me feel very hopeful. And I very much want to see humanity come into its own. That's going to be a beautiful yeah. sight when that happens. And we've spoke a little bit about gratitude and other kind of virtues to practice to get us along on the ascension path. Uh, in the book, William, you also wrote, if we wish to ascend to a higher reality, we must begin to think and act like beings who already live there. We have to think and act as if we are already living there. <clears throat> so how does that thinking process also help us? Well, yeah, this is the idea of uh, envisioning our future self. And the way I've started to or way I encourage people to think about this or a practice is sacred art. When we're looking at images of Christ in his resurrection body or the Tibetan guru Padmasambhava in his rainbow light body, any of the avatars, uh, what we learn over and over in these traditions is that the image is a conduit to that being. The Buddha, Christ, Padmasambhava, these are busy guys. You know, they're out doing whatever they're doing. And the, but the, an image is a way for us to connect with them. And now we have the neuroscience to understand why that is. We know we have mirror neurons in our neocortex that fire when we're looking at an image of, for example, Jesus transfiguring into light. Part of us are, is looking at that and our neurons are firing as if we are turning into light. So we're, we're kickstarting the process. In fact, this is the, the, the sacred principle of the, the icon makers in early Christianity. They, when they were going to teach about the transfiguration or metamorphosis of Christ into light, they didn't read anything from a book. They showed an image of him transfiguring into light. 
and had expressions like the image will show you the way and enter through the image that by making eye to eye, soul to soul contact with the image of Christ transfiguring, we were capable of receiving that divine light that was coming from him and our own biology then takes over. We, we naturally know how to do this, but we've got an editor in here that says, oh, chill out, William. You got to go to the grocery store after this interview. Don't turn into light after looking at this image, right? But what if we could take off that, those breaks? What if we could fully embrace or let in that divine light and begin to mirror it, uh, not just to the image, but, but to one another? That, that is a, a tremendous practice that all of us have access to. Anybody can, can Google transfiguration of Christ and find an icon and begin contemplating and meditating and reflecting on that image. And it incrementally will move us. I mean, I'm not saying, hey, if you look at an image of Christ transfiguring, you're going to turn into a light being, but it's going to move your needle. As you move the needle, you're then going to be ready to move the needle a little bit more. And more and more of that light and that consciousness will shine through you in new ways that you haven't even thought of yet will start to come into your consciousness. Oh, I need to do this meditation. I need to take this walk. I need to visit this sacred site. I need to uh, develop this practice. It's, it's individually specific what each of us need to do to get there. But the point is starting and then allowing that process to unfold. I'm so glad you brought up art because it was one of my favorite parts of the book when you started to bring in the sacred arts and really talk about art. And I know the neuroscience is matching us there and the therapeutic value of art, of creating art, looking at art, viewing art, and then the spiritual ascension that comes from this. And we... We have not even tapped into the energetic vibrational frequency of, of the potential here of, of what's here yet. So I'm imagining, and, and Paul, I'd love to hear if you have any imaginings here, but I, I want to ask you one more question here before we close. But I'm imagining those three-day weekends that completely change everything, that I might get to go to an art weekend while you might go to a plant medicine weekend, while Paul might go to a, a sound healing medicine with, and, and, and we're all having these three day weekends and they're very different because all of the paths, we have so many paths here. So my final question to you, unless Paul has anything is that envisioning this new earth, envisioning this new world, this new humanity is really important to us. And, and we, we brought this Main Street Mystic series forward so that we can really help science and spirituality converge and talk about why humans are having this experience. I'm wondering if you have a recommendation for our listeners of what's the call to action from your perspective, you are totally all in on this as well as Paul and I. What would be that call to action of the listeners of where to begin? What's important now as we start talking about our collective ascension process? Well, I think it's individually specific and it ultimately connects with the with the collective but for an individual, you already know what you need to do. You're just procrastinating on it. It's that mm-hmm. thing you keep putting off yeah. day to day, maybe year to year. Do that thing. It it's, it's, could be a tough choice too, or it could be really easy. It could be just drink more water, 
take an art course. It could be something really simple that you're putting up. I'll do that when I feel a little higher on the ascension path, something like that. No, we have to start with that thing that we're putting off because in my experience and in, in doing coaching and that, I, I realized that that is the thing that is the first step. And it opens up a gateway that is can just be literally a super highway for, for some people. It's just that one little thing that they need to do. And so I encourage start with the little things, get a snowball effect going and, and build it up, but also have that vision of ultimately what is going to be happening in your life that will be different than what is presently happening. Each day we're doing habitual things mentally, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. Once we get into our higher ascension intelligence, we'll be doing different things mentally, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. Try to imagine what those things are. List them out. Try to come up with 2025 20, new things that you'll enjoy doing mentally, physically, spiritually, and emotionally when you're at a higher level of ascension intelligence and start doing those things now. And, and that's how we gradually raise our vibration. And that's something else I encourage as well. Let's not make it a giant leap for most of us, at least certainly for me, a, a gradual, gentle spiral and transformation is preferable to a, a being forced to make a giant leap. Wonderful. Paul, any last comments from you before we close? William, this has been amazing. I really want to thank you for joining us My pleasure. And, and being here. That was a beautiful response. Paul, anything last from you? Just echoing that, I can't think of a better way to close, William, with your, your significant, just practical advice for people. Start now, start today. Listen to that inner voice, that inner wisdom, yeah. those promptings we always have, but right. we're so easy to just turn away from. Stop turning away and start listening. Thank you, William. My pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. And I want to leave you listeners with the words from William in the book, Ascension. Enfolded within these stories is the promise that we can ascend. We have the ability. We are generally wired to ascend. The desire to ascend is an answer to an ancient call to transform our world, our planet, into a place of righteousness. You know this world exists. You might also realize this transformation is your mission. I'm Julie Kroll. You've been listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. This is the Main Street Mystics series with co-host Paul J. Mills. Remember, together we are creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now. If you enjoyed the show, go to your favorite podcast platform, Remember to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. Also, please consider supporting The Dr. Julie Show at patreon.com backslash all things connected. When we each give a little, we all get a little more. You can stay in touch with me at juliecrawlemail.com. Thanks for listening.